Hi, my name's Sebastian King. I'm a paediatric surgeon at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne, and today I have the great pleasure of talking with Professor John Hudson. John has been the Professor of Paediatric Surgery at the Children's in Melbourne for the last 20 years and brings an enormous wealth of experience and wisdom to many clinical scenarios. In today's session, John and I will be discussing the assessment and management of boys with ectopic testes. If we um, just quickly talk about ectopic testes. Oh yeah, um, and very rare but very interesting. Yeah, and so what are, you, what are your thoughts around the embryology, the presentation and what we should do with them? Okay, they're all rare, that's the first thing. But what's the commonest? Um, when I was a, a medical student and a surgical trainee, we were told that when you had a testis in the superficial inguinal pouch, which is basically uh, the processus vaginalis mm. in the groin, was often just to the side of the external ring, that that was called an ectopic testis. But we now recognise that's well, not really ectopic. The gubernaculum hasn't gone to the wrong place. It's just that testis is in a large... Um, peritoneal space, the processus vaginalis, which is just sliding a little bit to the side, so it looks like it's a bit ectopic, but it really isn't at all. Um, the only really common variant of this rare anomaly is a perineal testis, which I've seen a few times over the years, and the one case that I remember the most, um, the child was two, and how, it was, how was it diagnosed? Because nobody knew Everybody thought the child had an undescended test and nobody had taken much notice about it for some reason. And then when the child got to two, Grandpa gives the child a tricycle for his birthday, OK? And every time the, the, the two-year-old sat on the tricycle, he was screaming. And nobody could figure out why did he, didn't he like the tricycle. And it wasn't that he didn't like it. It's just because when he sat painful. on the seat of the tricycle, he was sitting on his testis. And it was really painful. And so that triggered people to recognise there must be something down there and they look down there behind the scrotum and boom, suddenly recognise the testis. So perineal testis, as I said, pretty rare, but so why does it... It's called an undescended ectopic testis, but it's not really undescended. It's actually descended further than a normal scrotum and we don't actually know why it's um, happened, but from all the research I've done and what happens, how how testes descend in normal, my view is that all the evidence in animal models suggests that it's following a gradient of the genitofemoral nerve, the genital branch of the genitofemoral nerve, uh, which is releasing a neurotransmitter, calcitonin gene-related peptide, which then it effectively attracts the gubernaculum with a chemotactic gradient. So the testis is the gubernaculum with the testis inside the gubernaculum, which is inside the processus vaginalis inside the gubernaculum, is migrating, following this presses, this 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 uh, gradient of CGRP uh, in the tissues, uh, released from the genital branch of the genitofemoral nerve. So I reckon the likely cause of a perineal testis is that the genital branch is not actually in the scrotum like it should be; it's in the perineum. And it's amazingly simple to explain because the test, the migration's completely normal. It's just gone in the wrong place. Mm. Why? Because the nerve's in the wrong place. And have you noticed that the the testis itself in the in the ectopic testis is often a reasonable size? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. To... There's nothing wrong with it much. Mm. It's it's not an abnormal testis. It's just migrated in the wrong direction because the 
signalling wasn't quite right because the chemotactic gradient was coming from the wrong place. Uh, there's another variant of ectopic testers like that is when you've got an ectopic scrotum, which is actually incredibly rare. Um, you can have an ectopic scrotum sort of on the abdominal wall instead of in the perineum, uh, behind the penis. Uh, and when you have an ectopic scrotum on the abdominal wall, ask yourself, is the testis in the scrotum? And the answer is, yes, it is. Why does it done that? Oh, it's because when the testis, when the scrotum's at ectopic, it's probably got its genitofemoral nerve going there as well. That'll also be ectopic. So because the genitofemoral nerve is in the right place, even though the scrotum's in the wrong place, um, uh, the, the testis still migrates to the right place because it's following the gradient, even though the gradient is going in an abnormal direction. It turns out to be the right direction for that boy's scrotum, mm -hmm. even though the scrotum's in the wrong place. And so have you noticed then, to bring back to the undescended testis, that when you pull on the gubernaculum, the gubernaculum often seems to be right off to the side, doesn't yeah, it? Right. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. Attached in a slightly yeah, right. different... Yeah, OK. So I've just recently reviewed a paper about this um, um, in the journals, um, people suggesting that because when you pull on the gubernaculum, particularly from an inguinal approach, it often looks... This ha occurs even in an ascending testis, which we clearly now recognise is acquired rather than congenital. Why does it look like it's attached not to the base of the scrotum like you would otherwise expect? Um, and um, people have su suggested um, in the paper that I read on this um, uh, that maybe it's because the gubernaculum becomes attached to the wrong place and it so then doesn't descend correctly. But we already know in an ascending testis, it looks like it's descended into the scrotum and then goes back. So why does it become attached? Well, I think it's probably just secondary attachment of the... Because when the testis gets to the scrotum, it makes, say, it makes enzymes while it's migrating and then it stops making enzymes makes collagen, but it doesn't make collagen just at the end. It makes a collagen all the way along, mm. probably. Um, um, so it might just be the, the fibrous attachments of the, of, the, of the extracellular matrix molecules on the outside of the cord, which you watch, you notice when you pull on it. on it. OK, so is it really at the bottom? I don't think no, it's, it doesn't, it's doesn't. just it's on, the, it's on the side of the cord and there they're not congenital, that's what happens after the testis has descended. Mm. But to me, that's a normal process. Because it's interesting, when you do an ascending testis from the scrotum, not from the top, um, you don't see it like that mm. at all. You just find these little fibrous... You cut yeah, all of those, and then, then it's not quite, still not quite long enough, and then you cut the fibrous remnant of the processes, then suddenly, boom, it's, it, it elongates. The vessel's now elastic enough to come right to the scrotum without any trouble. So I think the physical attachments of the scrotum, when, of the gubernaculum, when you start through the inguinal approach, are basically artefacts of the secondary attachment of the cord to the adjacent tissues after the testis has descended. And so if you then go, if we talk about the ectopic testis, um, your operative approach to that... I presume then you always go to the inguinal Okay, if you've got approach. a perineal testis, for example, which is the... Um, it's a mistake I've already, already known, having made this mistake myself. Yeah. Um, if you try and do a perineal testis through the scrotum, 
doesn't fix it because it's coming down and then it sort of goes back up to the scrotum. If you pull it into the scrotum, it's still sort of like a hockey, hockey stick mm. shape of this cord. So you need to go to the groin. This is one of the times when you think, why can't you do it from the scrotum? Mm. It's so close. You can't take the Yankee approach. Yeah, right. Mm. But because you've got to pull the, the cord right back out and then put it in the right direction right from the top. So otherwise, it's still going the wrong pathway most of the way. And if you try and pull the end of it into the scrotum after that, it often recurs. So I've had, I've been into the position where how I've tried to fix perineal testis using the Bianchi approach, and I can tell you it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. So That's I useful. stopped doing it yeah. straight away. Yeah. So now I recognise you just need to go do an old-fashioned operation in the groin, pull it right back to the external ring, and then put it in the new direction into the scrotum directly, not down into the perineum, and then it's fine. Before we move on from testes, I just wanted to ask uh, just one more question about um, uh, Fowler-Stevens. Yeah. Have you been in the situation... Yeah, of... I was the resident, of course, when Robert was, do, when was working this out. Mm. And I had copies of his original diagrams showing that the testis is supplied by three vessels, testicular artery, cremasteric artery and artery to the vas. And the testicular artery is only about 60% of the blood supply, not 100%, like mm. you kind of imagine because of the way it's described, Certainly. its name. Mm. And, and have you been in a situation where you have done a first stage Fowler-Stevens and come back and the testis has not survived? No, I haven't. But I have been in the position where I've done the second stage and then it hasn't survived. Because yeah. um, we recognise the chances of surviving this two-stage operation, in the literature, it's about 80%, and I, I would agree with that. Um, that would be roughly my um, feel for it as well. Um, but I haven't actually been in the position where, when you so when you divide the testicular vessels, as long as nobody's done an inguinal hernia operation, opening the groin, opening the inguinal canal, and damaged the cremasteric artery, which often deliberately divide it in an inguinal hernia operation because um, you don't need it. Mm. Um, uh, if nobody's da damaged the, you know, the, the collateral blood supply, it should be fine. And I've never had that position, but that's because I'm being careful. I'm not doing, even thinking about a two-stage Fowler-Stevens operation if they've already had an operation on the groin. That's mm. a mistake. Yep. But if they've got a clean groin, then that's one of my choices. Yep. So thank you very much to Professor John Hudson. The plan will be to continue with some more of these sessions and discussing some more of the common paediatric surgical conditions.